Good morning. My name is Billy. I'm the executive pastor on staff. If you're new here and you don't recognize me, um, but I'm hoping to just kind of jump right in because uh, I just want to get to it. And we're ending this series called Loving God, which we've been talking about what it means to love God. So um, I, I hope I can round it out well. And today, uh, my, my goal is that we see that the, the ultimate fruit uh, that God is looking for in our lives is obedience. So <clears throat> the topic is obedience to God. That is how we can love God. And, and I say it, it's a fruit because I want to say this in the front end and I'll say it in the back end too, because it's not something that we have to strive to do, but it's something that comes from just a genuine place where we've been so touched and encountered by the love of God that the overflow of that is, man, all I want to do is what he says. That's what I want to do. I want, I want obe- obedience to God is really our greatest form of worship. It's the, the best way we can say, we love you, God. It is the best way we can do that. And so we're going to dive in with t- today. So in Matthew 28, uh, <clears throat> Jesus had just been resurrected. He's talking to his disciples and he says this in verse 18. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so we see here before Jesus ascends to heaven, obedience is, is a central piece of the Christian life. It's central. And in Matthew chapter seven, uh, Jesus is summarizing the Sermon on the Mount. He just shared this, this big, famous sermon. And at the very end, he leaves us with some parting warnings. And he shares about two men, one wise, one foolish. And he shares about how the wise man was the man who built his house upon the rock. And the foolish man was, a, was the, the man who built his house upon the sand. And when I first read that passage, I just assumed that it was like two different locations, right? Like someone chose the mountains and someone chose the beach house, you know? And, and I was like, okay, they just chose different locations. But I read this again in Luke chapter six and Luke's account, and, and it turns out it's not two different locations. So let me read this to you real quick. And this will be like the central scripture that we're gonna like come back to. So in Luke chapter six, you can read along or it'll be on the screen. It says this, starting in verse 47. It says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and acts on them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when a flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who has heard and has not acted accordingly is like a man who built his house on the, uh, on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of that house was great. So what I wanted to point out there is that the difference was not location. It was, it was the wise man decided to dig deep. It was, I'm gonna go through the sand, through the dirt until I find that rock buried down deep and I'm gonna put my foundation there. That was the difference. And, and reading the scriptures is pretty incredible. If we read it slowly, it says, everyone who comes to me, this is Jesus talking. And we, we would stop there and many preachers do these days. It's like, just come to Jesus and that's, that's it. And, and I mean, which is correct, right? Like Jesus is the foundation of the Christian life, right? Absolutely. But what does that mean? What does it mean, everyone who comes to me? Because many people came to Jesus in the gospels, but then by the end of his life, they were not following him. And so we have to understand, well, what, what does that mean? It, but, but he goes on further and it says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words, okay? So now, these are people who are actually actively listening to Jesus. 
This already separates us from like so many other people, right? Like we, we come to church, we hear a, a good message, uh, we read the Bible, we're hearing the words of Jesus. But the warning that Jesus gives is that we can do all that and still be a fool because we haven't finally obeyed. We, we think it's a marvelous thing when we get like emotionally stirred in a church service or in a life group or we gain some like deep intellectual understanding of the word of God. We, we got doctrine or truth or theology or whatever it is. And what Jesus seems to be saying is that you can come to him, you can hear the word of God, you can get excited about the word of God, you can agree with the word of God, you can even defend the word of God and still end in ruin if you don't apply it to your life, if you do not obey it, finally. That was the difference. And so I want us to see that what God is really looking for, you know, we've been talking about all these different ways of what it looks like to love God and all those are good and, and, and right and helpful, but the final product of it, it, it is obedience. And, and I, want us, I don't want us to get tricked into thinking um, that because we have all these other things in our Christian life, that that therefore means we love God. There may be all these church activities, we may have all the right doctrine, but if we have not obedience to God, then we might have just missed it. Um, and I wanna share a story of my son, who, who's here today, he's, well, he was, he's probably on the foyer now. Um, but what, my son is Liam, he's, he's almost three years old, and earlier this year we were like teaching him how to ride a bike, <clears throat> kind of, you know, one of those balance bikes, strider bikes, um, and he's on this bike, and he's just kind of walking, and he thinks he's falling down. And so I wanna show you this video because I caught it on film and it's hilarious and it's cute and cuddly and please take all the cute and cuddly in now because I know where I'm going with this message. And so just like soak it in now so it'll carry you all the way, okay? So let's watch this video real quick. No, you're not. Sit on your bum. Keep going. You're not falling down. Sit on your bum. There you go. Nope. You're not falling down. Can we get the volume up on that? It's too cute to miss. I can't go on without it. You're really not Just falling down. Sit on your bum. We need Liam right now. <laughs> Is it coming? Okay, maybe we'll wait. I'll explain what's happening there. If you, you, you might've heard it a little bit, but he's walking and he says, I'm falling down, I'm falling down. And he's just standing there. And it's, it's the cutest thing. And I'm like, hey, bud, you're not falling down. And he goes a little further and he just stands there. And he goes, I'm falling down, I'm falling down. And, and I was like, hey man, you think you're falling down, but you're you're not falling down, it's gonna be okay. And, and I only share that to, well, there's two reasons I share that. One, because I really hope the cuteness helps you right now. But, but two, as Christians, we can get caught up in the things that we're doing that we can say, I'm loving God, I'm loving God. And in reality, if we're not obeying him in that inner place, we're not loving God, we're not. And so loving God comes down to choosing obedience to the things that he reveals to us. All right, so we're getting into it, here we go. Uh, God created us body, soul, and spirit. We, we see this in different places. In First Thessalonians 5, we see this a little bit. But the danger that we face as Christians is that we can be uh, deceived into thinking that we are loving and worshiping God because we do it with our body or with our soul. And I'm gonna explain. Um, in John chapter four, Jesus is speaking to this, the, the woman at the well, and I don't have time to get into the whole interaction there. But he says an amazing thing to her. And he says this in verse 23. He says, an hour is coming and is now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit 
and truth. Okay, so what does this mean? This is one of those Jesus riddles. You're like, okay, what? But it says, true worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. So he's not referring to just singing praise, what we call worship, which is totally good. He doesn't say worship in body and soul, which sometimes we can be good at, meaning we, with our mind, we engage, and with our emotions, we engage, with our, our hands, we engage, and we worship God. But he's talking about digging deep to the spirit, the deepest part of our being, where God actually dwells. He's talking about getting to the core of who we are. And truth simply means reality. So it's a, it, it, at the core of who we are, there should be a reality that's found there in our spirit. And that is that we love God and that our obedience comes from that place, from that reality. So we don't prove our love for God by worshiping him in body with clapping and shouting and dancing and, and kneeling and hands raised. Again, I, uh, these are all good things. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Uh, these are great. And, and frankly, I wish we had more of that. All good, but that doesn't mean necessarily that we're loving God. We don't prove our love for God just by worshiping with our soul. Meaning now we're like beyond the body, we're like emotionally like in it, we're like, we're stirred. There's like a passion stirred up. There's maybe we're moved to tears. Like we're, we're actually moved or, or, you know, with our mind, we're like intellectually engaged and we can understand certain doctrines and truths. And, and we think that man, knowing the truth and mentally agreeing to it, that's loving God. And again, that is wonderful. We need more of that. Absolutely. But again, it's, if it doesn't lead you to life, you've missed it. If reading the Bible, seeking that knowledge and truth doesn't conform you more to the image of Christ, then you've missed it. You see, the Bible can be a tree of, of good, of the knowledge of good and evil or a tree of life. Depends on how you look at it. It can be a tree of knowledge of good and evil in that it, you can go to it and you can, you can discover what is good and evil, right? Absolutely. And you can still spiritually die. That's what happened to Adam and Eve, right? They went to the tree of knowledge of good and evil and they died spiritually. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 that the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. And in Jesus' time, you had these, these people called the Pharisees who were so killed by the letter. I mean, the Pharisees knew the Bible more than literally anyone else on the planet, right? They had the Old Testament scriptures from Genesis to Malachi, which spoke of Jesus, by the way, in every book. They had studied it, they knew it more than everyone, but it had so killed them, the letter, that when Jesus shows up on the scene, they call him the prince of devils. I mean, they got it so backwards. And it's such a warning for us who seek uh, Bible knowledge or, or think that loving God just means I have the perfect doctrine or truth. It's like, yes, that is very good and, and, and essential to Christian life. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm loving God, I'm loving God, okay? So that's the body and soul type of worship. So what the Father is looking for is those who worship in spirit, in the spirit. And what does that mean? Well, the Bible says that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 6, it talks about that. And we're, we are the tabernacle of God. And I'm not gonna take too, too much time on this, but I wanna share a little bit. Um, looking at the Old Testament tabernacle, we had in the, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle of God, it was essentially three places. You had the outer court, the holy place, and the most holy place, okay? Which keep it very simple. The outer court uh, represents the body. It's where people can see. The, the, the holy place is hidden, it's covered, represents the soul, and the most holy place representing the spirit, where God dwelt, where the presence of God and the fire of God dwelt. And in between the holy place and the most holy place, there was something that separated the two. And it was a thick veil, just a thick curtain, a thick veil. 
And in the Old Testament times, no one was allowed to pass through that veil except the high priest once a year for the atonement of sins. Beyond that, the way was not yet open into the presence of God like that. You could not enter the presence of God. That's why Jesus said an hour is coming. It's not quite here yet, but it's coming when that way will be open and you can go into the presence of God. But what does that veil symbolize? If, if the, 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 the most holy place is, that, is the spirit where God dwells, what is that veil? Well, we read that when Jesus died on the cross, at that very moment, the veil was torn from top to bottom. In Matthew 27, verse 51, you can read this. There's things happening. He's crucified. The, the sky gets dark. There's like an earthquake. The veil, the temple veil tears. And, you know, we can like kind of move on and you're just like, wow, lots of crazy things are happening. That's cool. But there's something significant in that happening. And I want to point it out because it says this in Hebrews chapter 10. It tells us exactly what that veil was. In 1920, it says that Jesus inaugurated a new and living way for us through the veil. A new and living way, talking about entering the presence of God through the veil that is his flesh. The veil represented his flesh. Flesh meaning his own self-will. The veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place, the the soul from the spirit, is our self-will. And if we want to be worshipers in spirit and truth, we have to learn how to get that veil torn down and broken so we can enter into the, to the holy place and worship. But Jesus said, an hour is coming and is now. Again, one of those Jesus riddles. <clears throat> well, how is it now? Because Jesus was the first one to worship in spirit and truth. It was now in the sense that Christ had showed up on the scene and from from the time he was born to the time he was speaking, he had been worshiping in spirit and truth, that he had torn the veil in his own life. He had to struggle against his own flesh, just like we do. I mean, we see this in, in Matthew 26. There's a couple references I'll, 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 I'll share. But in Gethsemane, if you remember this, he's, he's praying right before the crucifixion. And he says, Father, let this cup pass before me. I don't wanna do this. Right? He, he's saying, I, I, my will is I don't want to die like this. Not, now, he's not talking about physical death, okay? He would die a thousand physical deaths for you. He's not a coward. But he's talking about having the Father's face turn away from him, being separated from God. He's like, yeah, I, my will, I don't want that. But then he says, but not my will be done, yours be done. That is the tearing of the veil right there. He says this again in John chapter six. He literally just says, I have come down from heaven in verse 38 not to do my own will, but to do the will of my Father who sent me. Hebrews 5.8, he says he learned, it says he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Meaning his flesh suffered. He, his flesh wanted something. He learned obedience by letting it suffer and die and choosing to obey God. So the veil was torn for Jesus because he chose obedience to God over himself. That anytime he desired something that was against the will of God, he chose the will of God. He chose obedience to the will of God and thereby tearing the veil, uh, denying his flesh and opening that way to worshiping in spirit. And he did this every day of his life. And in choosing obedience to God and denying his own will, he showed the world that he loved God. He showed, this was his proof to the world that he loved God. And he says this himself in John chapter 14. I want you to see this, verse 31. Jesus says this, but so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. I mean, just think about that. 
He's saying, this is how the world knows that I love the Father. I mean, all the miracles maybe attest to his deity or whatnot, but how do we know that he loves God? He says it right here. It's because I do exactly what he tells me to do. I obey him. So not that he would just get excited about preaching the word in the synagogue or knowing the word. I mean, he, he is the word, so he like definitely knows the word, but that he obeyed God. That was how he proved his love for him. And then Jesus does this thing, which he does often, and he just applies it directly to us. And he speaks very clearly and, and just very direct. And he says this in John chapter 14. He applies that same principle to us. In verse 15, speaking to his disciples, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to make him in our, to, and to make to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Verse chapter 15, verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Okay, so it's very direct, not my words, okay? Just reading the Bible to you. Uh, but obedience is, is where the rubber hits the road. This is where the test of, of rock or sand comes in. Everything else is sand, according to Jesus. You see that the difference between uh, the wise man and the foolish man in Luke chapter six <clears throat> was that the wise man dug all the way down till he hit rock. He blasted the rock and laid his foundation there. And what did Jesus say that foundation was? It wasn't just coming to Jesus and, and hearing his words. It was acting on it, obeying. The foolish man who was building next door to him, I, again, in my imagination, how I'm viewing this, he's looking at the wise man and saying, wow, that guy's spending a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of money digging deep on this foundation. I think I'm gonna save my time and money. I'm gonna build with, I mean, assuming they started with the same amount of money, which house is gonna look nicer at the end of the day? The foolish man, because he's like not spending the energy and the time to go deep. He's got all this money saved up. He's like, I, you're building a three bedroom, two bath. I, I got like a three story house over here plus some nice furniture. And that's why looking at the house, looking at the externals doesn't actually tell you much until it goes through the storm. <laughs> Once it's tested, then we can know. You see, if we're more, more focused on the externals, just the, the, you know, let's build a quick house, let's, let's get it up, let's get nice furniture in. If we're more focused on the externals than the internal life, meaning uh, when like the externals can be like, I'm going to church, I'm reading my Bible, I'm in a life group, I'm doing the church things, good things. But then maybe there's this voice of the Holy Spirit in you, you've read some scripture and he spoke to you about an obedience. And if we're ignoring that and we're more focused, well, and we make an excuse, well, that's okay. I know I'm supposed to repent of that to that guy, but I'm just gonna go to church. Actually, I'm gonna read my Bible right now then we are in danger of, of building on sand. We're in danger of building on sand. I'll give you an example in my own life. A couple jobs ago, I was a design engineer for oil and gas company in Houston. And uh, at the time I was heavily involved with church. I think I was leading a life group, you know, evangelism, prayer, all the things. And um, I was using the office printer for personal use, okay? Just confession, okay? <laughs> And this is a really big company. It's like, it's nothing. And I thought nothing of it, but the Lord was teaching me something at the time. And, and one day he speaks to me and he says, you've been stealing paper. I want you to replenish their paper. And I was like, oh, 
Um, I could have ignored that voice in my conscience because I could have simply gone, hey, I'm leading life group. I'm doing some really good external church things, you know? But that voice was there. And, and if I would have ignored it, that would have been sand in my life. Absolutely. And so, you know, what I did, I, I bought a thing of paper and just, here you go, boss. And he's like, what's that for? And I'm like, just, just take it. Not gonna explain it, it's too awkward. Um, but I didn't want to be content with just, I mean, that's the temptation. We're, we're content with even hearing the voice of God. We've heard it. Oh, maybe you, maybe you went to church one Sunday and you heard an amazing message on forgiveness. And you're like, amen. There's shouts and there's like, a, you're like, that was an anointed word. The, the Lord spoke to me. Ah, oh, man, so good. That is good. Unless there's someone in your life you have not forgiven. And we can be tricked because we're like, I agree with that message. I will preach it to others. You're supposed to forgive. And then that voice in the, the Holy, the still small voices, hey, you gotta forgive your brother. And you're like, oh, well, I need time for that. Let me preach the message first. I mean, it's sand. And when we're not obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit within our conscience for whatever reason, typically because it makes us uncomfortable, then we're just focusing on the externals. We're just, we're just putting shiplap on the wall when there's no foundation. But when you get to that point where he speaks to you and you say, okay, my will is to hide or, or resist. I'm gonna blast my will and say, Lord, at any cost, I wanna obey you. I may look like a fool. The wise man looked like a fool, right? To the foolish man. It's hilarious. He's like, dude, you're wasting your time and money. And now, you, now, you, now you don't even have a couch because you can afford it. But you built a strong foundation. I mean, it, it, it's backwards, right? The first shall be last, Jesus said. But the area where the Lord tells you to obey, whether it's, hey, you're angry and I need you to put that to death right now. Hey, turn away from that lusting. Turn away from it. Don't give money to be seen. I, I see the heart. And when we say, yes, Lord, I obey. I want to obey. When we get to that point, we're hitting rock. We're hitting rock and we, we will be able to withstand any storm that comes. And, you know, more often than not, the Lord calls us to obey in like little ways. It's little in the sense that we typically justify it as a little thing. It's like, well, I'm not doing this big external gross sin, but there's this little thing that, you know, he told me to serve that guy and I didn't, or, you know, whatever it is. You know, maybe, maybe it's like he, you know, hey, you, the voice says you embellished a little bit on that story. Go tell the truth. And we, again, we can come up with an excuse that says, well, I think I'm just gonna pray instead. I'm gonna pray, do a church thing. Like, hey, that's good. Prayer is good. Reading the Bible is good, but he's called you to something. Will you obey it? Or maybe it's, hey, you were a little selfish there. Or maybe you were doing that for the honor of man. I want you to let someone else do that. Man, the excuses we can, the protests we can come up with against the Lord, right? It's endless. And I, I want to point it out because I, I want us to, to get to the heart of it. I want us to be worshipers in spirit because the Father is seeking for that. I'm not content doing church when the Father's looking for worshipers of spirit and truth and he just looks at Antioch College and just keeps going. I'm like, no, that's, I have the fear of God on that. I'm like, man. I mean, I'll give you another story. When I was uh, in, in ADS in the discipleship school, uh, this again, this is the little one. I was, yeah, whoop. Whoop, yep. Um, I was driving to class on the phone with a friend of mine. And it was on my Bluetooth speaker in the truck. And he, it was kind of breaking up. And he goes, oh, is it, you know, is headphones having a problem? Headphones, again, small. And because I was being extra lazy and didn't want to take seven seconds to explain it wasn't headphones, I just said, yep. 
That's it. And then instantly, uh, a few seconds later, the Lord convicted me. He's like, hey, you told a lie. I need you to call and make it right. I'm on my way to ADS, guys. I could have been like, hey, we're, I'm going to ADS. We're about to study the word. We're about to worship. We're about to pray. It's gonna be deliverance. It's gonna be prophecy. It's gonna be awesome. But had I done all of that and ignored that little voice, oh, what I would miss in my foundation would be so great. So I called him up. I was like, hey, man, just want you to know, it wasn't my headphones. It was my Bluetooth speaker. <laughs> and he's like, okay. So, all right, bye. <laughs> okay. <sighs> right? Like, ah. <laughs> but I can't be so focused on the externals that I miss the internal. The Pharisees did that, right? And what did Jesus say to them? He said, you are whitewashed tombs. You clean the outside of the dish and the cup and it's all fancy, but inside you're full of, of selfishness and robbery and self-deceit. Because the obedience that he's looking for is in the deepest part of us. And the more we walk with the Lord, the closer we get with him, the more we find there's more we can give, there's more we can obey. We find that there's that pride, hypocrisy, that selfishness, it's in there. <laughs> it's in there and he's trying to get it out. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And if we just um, go by what our ears hear, we listen to people, we can be fooled. Because following Jesus isn't just knowing, it's, it's not about knowing the right things, that's, that's where you start, but it's about applying those things to your lives. Because there's pride, hypocrisy, and selfishness in all of us. But because they're so inward, it's easy to hide that. We can cover it up pretty easily and therefore never deal with it, therefore focus on external things and, 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 and focus on the less important things. I mean, people do this with church even. They'll look for a better church in some regard. Maybe there's a better uh, emphasis on the, the Holy Spirit over here, or maybe you, you know, there's like this church that focuses community, or maybe the worship, the way they do it. It's like all these things. And maybe that person leaves that church and goes to the better church because they emphasize the right things. You know, they're more balanced or whatever it is. But you can go to that church where now they, they preach the things you wanna hear and they emphasize the things you wanna emphasize and you can still have pride, hypocrisy and selfishness in that church. So then what's the difference? It's like the color of a building. It's like, well, that one's red, that one's blue, that one's green, great. But what's inside the church? Maybe they have the right doctrine. That is good, you have to have that. But is there still pride and hypocrisy and, and selfishness running free? Is that being addressed? Because God is looking for worshipers in spirit who obey him. And so it's, it, we can't just look at the externals. Instead, we should go inside that building and see what's in there. See, do they walk in holiness? See, do they love one another? Do they care for one another? Do they pray for one another? Do they choose obedience over their own self-will? That's what we wanna see. We wanna come and see how they care for one another. Come and see how they speak respectfully to their spouses when no one is watching. Come and see how they raise their children, how they discipline them in the Lord. Come and see how they love those who have hurt them and offended them. You see, the, the, the message is not just come and hear. That is like, that's mainstream. You hear great messages all the time, that's fine. We cannot just say, come and hear a great message on Sunday. Go to Life Group, hear a great discussion. That's great, but we've gotta go beyond that. You know, when, when the, the disciples of John the Baptist um, came to Jesus, they, said, they asked him this question. This is early, I think, in John chapter one. Um, they said, Master, where do you stay? 
where do you stay? And Jesus replied, come and see, come and see. He didn't just say it's so-and-so. He said, I want you to come and see where I'm dwelling. Come and see where Jesus is living in a church, in a family, in a relationship. Come and see where the life of Christ is actually present. Come and see how it's, it's, again, it's not come and hear these truths that are more true than these other guys. Good, but don't stop there. Come and see how these truths have changed our lives. Come and see how now I, I used to lust and now I'm, I'm free from that addiction. Come and see how I now speak to my friends and my family. Come and see my attitude towards money and towards giving in secret. Come and see it. These truths have changed my life. You can see it now. And so the call that God has for us is, it really comes down to that obedience. It's, 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 there's no way around it. Um, but I wanna uh, share an important distinction here. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. He did not say, if you love me, you must obey me. Okay, there's a difference. And I, I need to spend some time on this. If it was, you must obey me, then that's, basically no different than the old covenant law where it says thou shalt and thou shalt not. Where there's this external thing that's causing you to do it, not an internal reality. Meaning, yes, thou shalt not steal. I want to steal, but I'm not able to. Okay, I'm not doing it. Check. But he's saying, no, no, no. It's not that you must. It's that when, when you have the love of God in your heart, there will be an overflow that you will obey. It's a fruit. It is a fruit of the love of God because when you so get transformed by the love of Jesus and you realize he died for you, when you understand that to the core, then it's, man, Jesus, how do I love you? I want to love you. And then he speaks, hey, obey me, the small thing. And then from that point, you say, okay, God, I wanna obey you. Will you fill me with the power of the Holy Spirit that I might obey you? Because I can't do it alone. I mean, we've been there, right? Trying to obey God on our own. It doesn't really work that well. In Romans chapter eight, we read this contrast of the flesh and the spirit. And in, in verse 13, it says this. Paul writes, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. Right. But if by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It's by the spirit of God that we can actually obey. And in fact, the very first time that Jesus mentions the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, he gives them this title, the helper. It's the first mention of the Holy Spirit from the lips of Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 16, let me read it. It says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. Okay, so what's the context for needing this helper? If I say, hey, come and help me with something, your first question is, what do you need help with? Helper for what? It's literally in the previous verse, verse 15, which says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you keep my commandments. Meaning his, his commandments are so impossible to keep on our own, right? To never get angry, to never lust, to, to never to do, do anything for the honor or uh, pleasure of men, to never judge, to, to pray for those who, who curse us, to bless those who persecute us to forgive everyone. I mean, this, this standard is so high. And we say, Lord, I, I do love you. I really do, but I cannot keep these commandments. I'm trying. 
And Lord, if I'm being honest, I feel condemned. I'm hearing these things I'm supposed to be doing and I'm like, I'm struggling. And his response to that is, oh, no worries. I'm gonna send you the helper and he's gonna be with you forever. The spirit of truth. And by the spirit, you'll be able to put to death the deeds of the body. You'll be able to keep my commandments. And therefore, obeying God is not a burden. It's not, I mean, it's a burden if, if you have to do something that you can't do. I don't, I, I don't have an example, but if you've been, ever been given like a task, do this, that's literally impossible for you to do, that's a burden. <laughs> but it's not a burden anymore because it gives us the desire and then he gives us the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can obey him. That's why it says in 1 John 5, verse 3, 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God, we see it again, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Obedience to God is not a burden if you're under grace. If you're under grace. If it's, if it's, if it's similar to the old covenant where it's just a thou shalt, thou shalt not, I can understand why it would be a burden. I get that. <clears throat> but in the new covenant, all we have to do is recognize that God's called us to something and then say, Lord, I hunger and I thirst for that. And his promise is if you hunger and if you thirst and if you have faith, I will fill you up with the Holy Spirit, the helper who's gonna be with you forever. He's gonna help you every day to obey every command. And therefore, obedience is now a joy. It's not a burden. It's a joy. It's a relief. It's, it's, oh Lord, I've been wanting to obey. Now finally, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I can obey. Finally, I can be free from this sin. Finally, I can overcome my anger. Finally, I can have patience. Finally, I can stop lusting because the Spirit of God is with me. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Where the Spirit is, there's freedom. Not where there's knowledge of Him. I mean, there are many churches and many, in my own life, I've had the knowledge of the baptism and the filling of the power of the Holy Spirit but it's not translated into victory. So man, there's a difference between knowing something and then experiencing something. It's where the spirit is, there is freedom because it's not about some external rule. It's about a person who is living with you. It's about a person, the, the God, the Holy Spirit who is with you. And this is the way to obedience. We can't do it alone. Think of it this way. If, if, you, if you're in the, <clears throat> uh, if you have a young child, let's say in Kingdom Kids, right now, very hypothetical situation that they start crying, let's say. Um, and let's say that the Kingdom Kids volunteers, um, who are the best in the Brazos, by the way, your, your kids probably are not gonna cry. I just, I know this is hard to imagine. But if they did, let's say that Kingdom Kids volunteer says, and I'll use Liam as an example since I tried earlier. Um, hey, Liam, your mommy and daddy are just in the sanctuary, just like that, just like 20 feet away. So don't cry trying to impart this knowledge, right? <laughs> That's not gonna work. <laughs> That's not gonna give that child what that child needs, right? I mean, it's not like Liam's gonna be like, <laughs> oh, you mean just like that room? So we're like in the same building, in the same city. Oh, okay, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. <laughs> What's gonna change when mom and dad walk in the room? When mom and dad walk in the room, it's our actual presence that gives that child what that child needs. It's not knowledge, it's, it's, <laughs> it's the real thing. It's the spirit of God with you. And so when it comes to obeying all his commands, he says, I'm gonna send you a helper to be with you forever, 
And from that place, you, can, you want to obey God. He put that desire in you when you were born again. Now you're able to, praise God. It's not a striving thing. It is a, the bar is set high. Yes, Jesus just kind of said it. I, you know, if you love me, you'll obey me. Okay. But we now have the power, the actual presence of the Holy Spirit with us that we can, we can finally say, Lord, it's a joy to follow you. It's not a struggle. Uh, let's get the band to come on up. We'll wrap it up here. So what's at stake here? I know, I mean, we're at the end of this series, loving God. And my hope is that I'm trying to communicate that really at the end of the day, if we're not obeying God in that hidden place where no one can see, you know, like you can't see the foundation of a house. You can't see, if you think of the old the Testament tabernacle, you couldn't see within the holy place or the most holy place. We, I can't see it's in there, what's there. And it's in that hidden place when we choose to obey God that we're starting to hit rock, that we're building our life and our foundation upon rock, that when the storm comes and a storm is coming, that we stand firm, unshaken. And I don't, uh, I just don't want us to think and say, I'm loving God, I'm loving God, when, when we're ignoring that voice of the Holy Spirit within our conscience. When we're hearing a message, when we're reading a scripture and we read something and we're like, we hear him and then we just keep reading. And then we check off, hey, I read my Bible in a year. It's like, well, that's great. But did you obey him when he spoke that word in Luke chapter two? Oh man, I don't want us to, to miss this. And again, just to cap it, I don't want, us, don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. All the excitement, all the, uh, the knowledge, the, the correct doctrine, the proper theology, the, the worship and body, all is good. <laughs> we, I want more of that. At the same time, I still wanna be clear, like, man, from what I see in the word of God, that's secondary to, to loving him by obe- obeying him, by choosing obedience. Last verse, John, 1 John 2, three through five. Again, it comes to us. By this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. This is why I'm bringing the message right now. I want that for my life. I want that for my family's life. And I want that for you, church, that the love of God would truly be perfected that we would truly be worshipers in spirit and truth, that when the Lord is looking, he says, it says he's seeking those who worship in spirit and truth, that he would see maybe just a few even in this church who have said, man, I'm not content just hearing. I'm not content leading a life group. I'm not content all these things. But when he tells me to obey and I need to make that call to my mom or I need to give back what I stole 12 years ago, I'm gonna do that. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care if I look like a fool. Because I want to be built upon the rock. My prayer is that the love of God is truly perfected in us. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and stand. We'll wrap it up. So I told you that cute Liam video was needed, you know? (laughs) 
but we're beginning this corporate fast today. For those of you who wanna jump in, however you wanna jump in, it's great. But I wanna encourage all of us starting right now to just simply ask the Lord, what have I not obeyed? And it, honestly, it probably will take five seconds for you to hear him. A lot of people think they can't hear God. I'm like, just ask him this one question. You hear him, you hear him real fast. You, you're actually super anointed. <laughs> what is it that I have to, what is it that you've called me to do, Lord? It's just that sometimes we don't like to do it, so. But just in this moment, I want us to just take a minute and we're gonna get into worship again, but just to, just to be real with the Lord and be like, God, I don't want my, my life to be built on sand. I don't want to, I mean, maybe this message is a, is a defense against the hypocrisy, I don't know. But I know it's real in my life. I know I'm so tempted to go there where I'm like, hey, I'm a pastor, blah, 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 blah. But if I don't obey, like, hey, you spoke harshly, repent, oh, okay. Then I have missed it. And one day it will be revealed by fire. And we wanna be a church, we wanna be a people built on rock with not wood, hay and, and stubble, with gold, silver and precious metals. And so I'm gonna invite some life group leaders up to the front. It's part of our prayer team coming up right now. And if you just need prayer, um, just for grace, just for that power of the Holy Spirit, for the helper to be with you, you just want someone to pray with you, just come up here and ask these guys to pray for prayer. Now is, is, is probably not, again, maybe, the, maybe the, the, the thing the Lord is saying is go get prayer. I know I've been there where he's asked me to do it. I'm like, that's awkward. People are gonna look at me. But man, there's breakthrough in obedience. There's freedom where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so if you need prayer, if he's, if he's nudging you just in the rib, just say, all right, let's go do it. I'm gonna get prayer. And for everyone else, again, just say, Lord, what, what do you want me to obey? And then from that place say, okay, I got it, but I can't do it. So fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me grace. It's utterly useless without the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been there. Let me pray. Father, we love you. And we do pray, God, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit, that you would help us to love not in word and tongue, but in deed and truth. Help us, Lord, to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Like your word said, you said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? And Lord, we just humbly come before you and repent of the times that we've just ignored you. We say, Lord, thank you for washing us by the blood of Jesus, that right now in this very moment, this very second, I can start clean and pure and say, Lord, what's the next thing? Would you meet with us, Holy Spirit? Would you be our helper? Help us not, help us, let, I, God, I pray that this word would not be snatched up by the birds of the air. I pray that this seed would fall on good soil, Lord, that we would truly be a people who worship in spirit and truth, God. We, we don't like playing church. We just wanna love you, Jesus. We wanna love you, God, with everything we have. We just wanna love you, Lord. And I pray that it overflows from that deepest part within us, from our spirit, God, that we would overflow with just the desire to obey you more. God, we need you. So come and meet with us. In Jesus, name we pray. Amen.